It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. And welcome into the show, everyone. We got a great one for you today here on this Saturday, July 31st, as we look to preview UFC Fight Night Hall versus Strickland, which will take place uh, in about an hour. And as always, great to be back with you guys. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. This is my one warning I'm going to give before anybody tunes in any further. I am going to be very negative, very, very negative, but clinical. I'm going to be very clinical, but very negative on this fight card because it is the worst fight card I have ever seen in, in the modern UFC era. So I'm going to be very negative, okay? So if you can't handle negativity, this is your one chance to turn this off and do something else. But I'm going to be very negative on this fight card, uh, and rightfully so, and I'll be justified at the end of the night. But uh, I, I just figured I'd say that, fair warning, okay? I always try to stay positive, and it goes without saying that, hey... You know, just because it looks bad on paper doesn't mean it's going to be bad in actuality. Although, you know, there is a, oftentimes a correlation, and I fear there's going to be a very strong correlation between this card sucking on paper and sucking uh, in the real world. But this is your one warning, and I won't blame you. That's fine. You've already tuned in enough, to, uh, you know, at this point to count as a view. So that's fine. I already got you. I got you. But yeah, that's that's about it. Uh, before I get very negative, we'll do some some housekeeping. Uh, I think we're on NSS 49. 49, or is this 50? It might be NSS 50. Uh, me and Drew in the uh, the main event, and uh, every everything else. I don't fucking know. We'll figure we'll figure out the rest of the card. Uh, okay, it is NSS 49. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's about it for housekeeping. So we can get right into this very short preview. I'm gonna keep it very short because. Uh, I don't have anything nice to say, but I am obligated to do a show, so uh, yeah, we gotta get into it. Uh, I think it's apropos to start with the cancelled and fizzled bouts, so this is a 10 fight fight card, and uh, it was 13 yesterday, we had a um, handful, uh, handful of fights fall off in the last 24 hours, I believe all three were after the weigh-ins as well, so you know, people were ready to fight. Uh, we probably have 10, 10 or 11 cancellations uh, on this card just in general. And, you know, none, none of them are uh, tremendously amazing uh, fights that got canceled. But, you know, some of them might have made uh, a difference. So uh, I guess in no particular order, uh, we had Shamil Abdurakimov. Uh, get removed from this card against uh, Chris Dawkins because he tested positive uh, due to COVID, uh, or maybe his corner tested positive or something. But point is that fight was off, and you know, I don't think anybody's you know staying up late at night to uh, tune in to Shamil Abdurakimov, but two ranked heavyweights and Chris Dawkins is an interesting uh, prospect in that in that division. Good wrestler, uh, so. That one would have made a difference. Uh, we had Trevin Jones fall out against Ronnie Lawrence because uh, Lawrence botched uh, a weight cut, according to uh, Tapology. Uh, that one would have been interesting. Lawrence actually had a really, really good uh, UFC debut. I forget who it was uh, against, but uh, it, either way, it wasn't against you know a top guy. But uh, oh, Vince Vince Cachero, yeah. He had a great debut event against Vince Cachero, and Trevin Jones, you know, had that come-from-behind victory that got overturned to a no-contest against uh, Timor Valiev. So, okay, I mean, scrappy bantamweights, you know, I would have been down for it. Uh, we had a fight between Sam Alvey get canceled against Roman Kopilov. Uh, okay. Well, we also had, I believe this was before the Trevin Jones fight, but Ronnie Lawrence was supposed to fight Minnesota's own John Castaneda. 
So, you know, that would have been interesting, at least for me. I mean, I, I always like watching Minnesota fighters, even though, you know, a lot of the times they don't win. Uh, the select handful that are in the UFC, like uh, uh, Dan Moret or whatever from uh, Mankato. But either way, I'm a fan of the uh, the sexy Mexi. You know, he, he floored Eddie Wineland at his last performance. So, you know, it would have been interesting. Probably my favorite canceled bout, uh, just because I'm a sadist, is the uh, Nico Montano and Yanan Wu fight that was supposed to take place at bantamweight, uh, but was off because Montano missed weight by seven pounds. She missed weight by seven pounds. She weighed in at 143. Well, I guess it's six six pounds because uh, you get the one pound allowance. But seven sounds better than six. But either way, missing weight by six pounds. Uh, and keep in mind, she was the inaugural flyweight champion so she won a well won a belt i i could not be more sarcastic when i say that she won a belt a paper belt at 125 and misses weight and comes in at, at you know obviously this was contracted to be a bantamweight but someone who was champion at 125 weighing it at 143 pounds and that sounds like a lot six pounds sounds like uh, you know that is a lot but you also have to remember that it's it's for 135 pounds, so it's not like it's not like a light heavyweight missing weight uh, by weighing in at 211. No, when you talk about percentage of body weight that you missed by, that is fucking astronomical. That's one of the biggest misses in UFC history. Like what was it? I think Rumble Johnson missed weight by fucking 11 pounds or something at um, at middle middleweight, and that's why he got released the first time. Something like that. Um, but this is this is right up there. That's huge. I mean, that's embarrassing. She will be cut from the UFC. I don't know why she was in the UFC to begin with. Uh, she's done absolutely nothing since winning a, a paper belt, other than uh, you know, pull out of fights. But uh, yeah, that's that's I guarantee that's a final straw. There's no way that that she's still employed by the UFC uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, we had uh, ranked flyweights pulled off the card. Uh, it was supposed to be Askar Askarov taking on Alex Perez. Askarov got injured. I mean, that's high-level flyweight MMA. I mean, it is a weak division, but, you know, Askarov is undefeated. Perez, you know, fought for the, the, the title uh, less than a year ago. So, you know, that, that would have been interesting. Uh, flyweights won Camilo Ronderos and Zaruk Adeshev are off because uh, Ronderos, Ronderos uh, withdrew. Don't really know why. Don't really care. The co-main event, as of yesterday, is off between Kyung Ho Kang and Hani Yaya because Yaya tested positive for COVID, and that was a that's a really bad co-main event. That's re- but don't worry, we'll get to an even worse co-main event in a second or in a few minutes. But that like that is a that is a that is a fight night prelim opener, that, like that. So. Yeah, that's whatever. I know Kang was champ over in uh, one of those South Korean organizations. But don't care. Uh, he's he's got two. He's got th- he's on a three fight winning streak, but two of them are split decisions, and they're against possibly the worst trio of fighters I've ever seen uh, on a winning streak: Teruto Ishihara, Brandon Davis, and Ping Yuan Liu. So, you know, this guy's just holding on to his uh, UFC contract. And Hani, I like Hani Aya. I, I think he's actually pretty underrated. Really good submission uh, artist. Little, little, uh, you know, he's at an advanced age there at 36 years old. But I, I do think Hani Aya is pretty underrated. Although, you know, his body of work uh, is not uh, not tremendous when you look at uh, when you look at it on paper. But I, I think he's a good fighter. Uh, we had uh, the Korean Superboy Duho Choi. Uh, get injured and pull out of a fight against Danny Chavez. Uh, that probably wouldn't have been like an amazing fight, but that's an interesting name. I mean, Choi was like the hottest thing in the UFC five years ago for, you know, uh, maybe like a year. <clears throat> you know, because being a 145er who he had like a crazy streak of KOs, not just TKOs, but KOs. Uh, but that that fell through, so that sucks. Uh, we had Munir Lezez. He was supposed to fight Nicholas Stoltze, and Lezez had visa issues. Uh, that's That sucks. I think that would have been a good fight. Uh, I can't really speak to Nicholas Stoltze, but Lezez is a really interesting striker. 
Uh, he's a vicious striker too. I remember his uh, his debut uh, against Abdul Razak Al Hassan, where they were just trading. So that guy's a ferocious fighter. Uh, I'm not going to say that fight alone would have made the difference on this card because it is really bad. But you know, that's one of those matchups where you go, okay, well, it's not the main event, it's not the co-main, but that's a that's a pretty good fight. You know, I, I would have liked to have seen that. And then finally, finally, the last canceled bout was Jin Yu Frey and Estela Nunez at strawweight. Nunez uh, pulled out. I don't really care about that one. So with all those canceled bouts out of the way, we'll, we'll get right to the uh, preview here. So we'll start off with the prelim opener, and it's going to be in the welterweight division between Orion Kosi and Philip Rowe. Kosi is 7-0, Rowe is 7-3. We'll take a look at the odds here, and Kosi will be the minus 150 favorite. Uh, not a, not bad. Probably one of the better fights on this uh, on this card. You know, both these guys uh, have came off of the uh, contender series. Uh, they haven't been tremendously active over the last couple of years. Uh, Kosi uh, won uh, against Matt Dixon on the contender series back in August of 2020. So about a year layoff. Uh, and I remember, Matt Dixon looked really good in that fight too. So Kosi uh, overcame that one. Obviously, his brother, fucking Lu- Lucas Kosi or whatever his name is, is also uh, in in the UFC as well. Uh, this is a far preferable opponent uh, for your his UFC debut than what was previously proposed because he was supposed to fight uh, in November of last year. He was supposed to fight Nicholas Dalby, and that's pretty tough. I mean, you don't really get easy matchups in the UFC. So I understand sometimes you got to kind of go into the deeper end of the uh, unranked uh, talent pool, but this is uh, a lot easier for, for Kosi. Although I do, I do like Roe. He is really tall. He's six foot three. He's got an 80 and a half inch reach uh, at welterweight. So, you know, when you're, when you're striking with Philip Rowe, you know, you kind of got to mind your P's and Q's. We, we saw that in his uh, uh, fight against uh, uh, Leon Shabazian. Who also was really, really tall as well. I think he's like six four. But uh, so, Philip Rowe made his debut back uh, in February against Gabe Green. Lost that one by unanimous decision. I, I, I like Rowe, but I'm gonna go with Orion Kosi on this one. Although I'm, I'm a little bullish on uh, on both of them, to be honest with you. Uh, moving on here now to the flyweight division. We'll have a fight between Ryan Benoit and Zaruk Adeshev. Benoit is 10 and 7. Adeshev is 3 and 3. Two really, really bad records. Those are not good. Those are not good. 10 and 7 and 3 and 3. And I understand, you know, records are contextual. You know, if you, you could be 15 and 0 and, and just beat, you know, a bunch of bums, but uh, objectively, those are uh, pretty bad records we'll take a look at the odds here and Ryan Benoit will be the minus 135 favorite uh, I say he probably should be a bigger favorite uh, than that but uh, uh, again both of these guys kind of racking up the the losses here Benoit uh, is uh, in the midst of his second tenure here in the uh, the UFC uh, and he has lost both lost both of his uh, or actually no Actually, he might have been cut, but I don't think he had a fight outside of the UFC. Uh, but he's on a uh, two-fight losing streak. He lost to Tim Elliott back in uh, July of last year on Fight Island, and then he had a split decision loss to Haley Alatong, uh back in December of 2019. Uh, his last win coming uh, in November of 2017. So actually, these odds are start- starting to make a lot more sense here. Uh, terrible nickname, the Babyface. Uh flyweights just seem to have terrible terrible nicknames i don't know why that is but benoit's powerful he's powerful so you know you gotta you gotta be uh respectful when you fight him wins 80 percent of his fights by ko or tko although adeshev has a a shorter average fight time albeit uh he doesn't have a win in the ufc so you know it's him uh losing uh you know i could look at the stats for both of these fighters, they don't really mean a whole lot because the uh, quality of opponents uh, is just not there. I don't know the background of Adeshev. I don't know why he's in the UFC with su- such a terrible record. Um, so he's, uh, yeah, he's 0-2 in the UFC. Got knocked out in 32, 32 seconds in his debut against Tyson Nam. 
who has like fucking five times the experience that he did at that time and then a unanimous decision lost to Sue Madarji who's pretty good pretty good but I, I don't I don't like I don't know is this guy a gold medalist in fucking judo or something why is he in the UFC at uh, three and one and obviously that was way too soon because he's uh, 0-2, about to be 0-3 because I'm going to pick Ryan Benoit to win this one by uh, TKO. I'm going to go round two TKO on this one. But, you know, I, I hate seeing... I don't want to see a fighter in the UFC who has less than seven fights. I, I just don't want to see it. Like, uh, oh, what's the... His nickname's like Blood Diamond or something. One of Israel Adesanya's teammates just got signed to the UFC. Okay. Like, and that dude's going to lose because he's 3-0. and Like, you just, you have to have a certain amount of experience. Like, everybody made such a big deal about Carlos Alberg coming to the UFC. Yeah, dude got fucking flatlined in his UFC debut because you just don't have the requisite experience. So, I, I there's nothing that bugs me more than seeing a super talented 4-0, and 3-0 and fighter come into the UFC. It's like, dude, you belong in Bellator. What are you doing here? Like, you're fucking up your development like maybe maybe you would have been good if you had stayed on the regular path and just developed properly but you know what i mean it's just like stunting your growth it's like uh sage northcutt coming to the ufc like wow that worked out really good for him like maybe if you would have signed him when he was 24 instead of 20 you know he would have been uh, a world champion i don't fucking know it's you know you're just speculating at this point but it clearly didn't work out the way it happened so yeah, that's my little spiel there on uh, on Saruk Adeshev, I guess. All right, moving on here to the strawweight division. We'll have a fight here between Ashley Yoder and Jin Yu Frey. Two pretty bad records here as well. Eight and seven for Yoder, ten and six for uh, Frey, or however you say it. Doesn't matter. She'll be out of the UFC after this one. Uh, we'll take a look at the odds here, and Ashley Yoder is going to be the minus one fifty favorite. Uh, and I, I would have to agree. Uh, she lost her last fight against Angela Hill. She's lost three of her last four, and she has lost six of her last nine. Nice, but she's lost six of her last nine. Uh, but she is an interesting striker. She's pretty tall for strawweight. I believe she's five foot seven, and uh, she seems to be getting better on the ground. So, you know, although she's racking up the L's, you know. There are some things to like in in some of her fights. I mean, a couple of those losses were split decisions, so you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, comparatively to uh, to Frey, I mean, I I, I I like what Yoder brings to the table. Uh, Jin Yu Frey uh, has not had the uh, the best start here to her UFC career. She is on a one fight winning streak though, so that's impressive. She beat Gloria DePaula, who was in the fucking co-main event. I mean, I hate to spoil it, but, you know, I'm sure you're, you you know, if you're tuning into this, you're a fan, so you probably know what the co-main event is, but that's another fucking disaster. But, uh, yeah, she's 1-2 and two in the UFC, lost her debut to Kay Hansen, uh, a child, and uh, lost her follow-up fight to a 4-2 and two fighter who's also a child from Thailand, uh, Luma Lukbunmi. And I, when I mean child, I mean, you know, basically a teenager. You know, I think Kay Hansen was 20. I think Luma was like 21 or something, which is a child as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I say as someone who's about to turn 24. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Yoder on this one. The stats are just garbage for both fighters. I mean, Jin Yufrai lands 1.7 significant strikes per minute, absorbs 3.35. Yoder gets hit more than she lands, but I'm going to have to go with Ashley Yoder on, uh, on this one. All right, moving on. Of course, by unanimous decision. Or sp actually, just by any decision. Majority, split, unanimous. But this one will go the distance, folks. I, I hate to spoil it for you, but it, it is going to go the distance. Uh, moving on here to the featherweight division. We have a fight between Danny Chavez and Kai Kamaka the third. Chavez is 11-4. and four. Kamaka the third is 8-4. and four. We'll take a look at the odds. And... Uh, Kamaka will be the minus 115 favorite. Chavez, minus 105 favorite. So whatever the fuck that means. Uh, but c competitive competitive fight here. Both of these guys are, are pretty young in their uh, UFC careers. Chavez is a little older. However, he is 34 years old. 
uh, one and one in the UFC, won his debut against TJ Brown, and then lost to uh, Jared Gooden in February of this year. Kamaka making his debut back uh, on the same card back at UFC 252. Uh, but he's now on a two-fight losing streak. So he lost to uh, Jonathan Pierce and then a split decision loss to TJ Brown. Um, MMA math does not always... Well, to say MMA math doesn't always work out is probably the understatement of the century. But I don't know, man. Danny Chavez beats TJ Brown. Kai Kamaka loses to TJ Brown. So, you know, this this could be, you know, a, a folly. But uh, I'm going to go with Danny Chavez just because of MMA math. I don't really have any hot takes on uh, either of these fighters, if I'm being honest, although, uh, you know, I I did, I I do like the fervor that Kai Kamaka fights with, so uh, I I like that, both of these guys' average fight times are, you know, damn near just straight up decisions, I mean, 88% of uh, Kai Kamaka's fights uh, go to a decision, and he's never finished a fight by, uh, KO or TKO. Chavez has never finished a fight by submission. Only finishes 27% of his fight. 27% of his fights, in general. So, safe to say this one goes to a decision, and Chavez wins. Although, to be honest, I mean we saw dog shit judging in the uh, on on the last fight night. So, you know, you never you never too sure that if it goes to the final bell that you won. I mean, you never know sometimes. But I'm going to assume that we have competent judging, which might be bold of me, but I'm going to do it. All right, moving on to the uh, prelim headliner. It will be in the lightweight division between Chris Gritzmacher and Hafa Garcia. Gritzmacher is 14-4, Garcia 12-1. We'll take a look at the odds here. And Hafa Garcia is the, I'm going to go prohibitive, minus 325 favorite. Um, yeah, I know Chris Gritzmacher's not good. I don't know a whole lot about uh, Kai Kamaka. Uh, Gritz lost his last fight back in, uh, back on Halloween of 2020. So that was the uh, Hall versus Silva fight card, which I'm sure we'll mention uh, again later on. But uh, he's lost three of his last four. He has a win over Joe Lozon, who was on some crazy losing streak and was really, really old. Uh, in, in Maybe not in, in life really, really old, but in fighting terms, very, very old. Uh, and his last win before that came against Abner uh, Laveras back on the uh, Ultimate Fighter 22 finale. Uh, the Ultimate Fighter coached by Conor McGregor and Uriah Faber. So he's, he's long on wins. And Garcia... I mean, 12-1. and one. I mean, his nickname is Gifted. I mean, you know, how can you not go with that? I mean, he's Gifted Rafael Garcia Jr. Although he did lose his last fight to Nasrat Hakparast, who is, uh, I mean, that's like a B-level prospect. He's a pretty good, you know, that's, got, that's a guy to watch out for. Uh, so he's still looking for his uh, first win in the UFC, but he, he has the UFC debut jitters out of the way. You know, that's... That's really what you can chalk that loss to uh, Hack Perast up to. And, uh, I mean, before that, he beat uh, Humberto Bandene uh, in uh, Combate in February of 2020. And Bandene, well, he didn't exactly have the greatest UFC career ever, but that is a UFC fighter. So, uh, you know, there might be a couple of UFC wins on his record. So, I'm going to go Hoffa Garcia. Just because I, I don't think Gritzmacher's that great. Uh, I've never really seen... Uh, you know, sometimes fighters are not good, but they're, like, gritty. They're tough. I don't even... You know, with all due respect, I don't even think he's that gritty or tough. So, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Hoffa Garcia on this one. All right, moving on to the greatest main card uh, probably ever assembled. We have uh, Brian Barberina taking on Jason Witt in the welterweight division. Barbarina is 15-7. and seven. Jason Witt is 18-7. and seven. We're going to take a look at the odds here, and Barbarina is the minus 275 favorite. Uh, I'm going to say that's moderate. It's a moderate favorite, and I'm uh, a moderate fan of Brian Barbarina. I think he's going to win this one. Uh, very, very hard to put away, although... Uh, he was put away in two of his last three fights, but it takes a lot to do that. It really does. Uh, he, probably 
Uh, I hate speaking in absolutes, but if I had to pick, like, the top five most durable fighters in the UFC, certainly Brian Barberina would be in the top five. I'm not going to say he's number one or number two, but, like, he's at least four or five. This guy is very, very tough. I believe he's a farmer. I believe he's a farmer, so he's got that farm strength. Uh, won his last fight against against Anthony Ivey. Has a couple of pretty bad, uh, or actually, uh, well, quote-unquote good losses to Leon Edwards and Colby Covington, so he's fought pretty tough uh, opponents in the UFC. They don't really give this guy easy matchups. Uh, he is a finisher, only goes to a decision 20% of the time, has .7 knockdowns per 15 minutes, and he's incredibly active. 5.48 significant strikes landed per minute, lands 48% of them, which is pretty good. Does get hit a lot, though. Gets hit with 475 uh, but very, very durable. It does take a lot to take him down. 60% takedown defense, which is not terrible. And uh, Jason Witt, uh, far less active. Uh, he is older than Barbarina. He is 34. Actually, no, same age as, as Barbarina, excuse me. Uh, Jason Witt got knocked out in 16 seconds in his last fight. In his UFC debut, he got knocked out in 48 seconds. He had a really nice performance in the middle of those two brutal knockouts against Cole Williams, where he just battered him and then eventually finished him off with an arm triangle choke. But, uh, yeah, not a good sign. Brian Barberena, I'm not going to necessarily say he's a power puncher, but he certainly doesn't punch like a bitch. So, I mean, that's a very bad recipe here for Jason Witt. i got to be honest. So, I'm absolutely going with Brian Barberina and if I could bet money on it I probably would throw uh, you know a couple of uh, a couple of dollaroonies on Brian Barberina here I, I feel pretty confident that he's going to win this one and I feel pretty confident he's going to finish this one as well now Jason Jason Witt and now most of this is the fight against Cole Williams so that's where you got you kind of got to look at the stats and go, well, they look good. He lands 3.1 significant strikes per minute, only gets hit with 2.6. But you got to realize that, you know, two of his three performances were very quick knockout losses. So I'm going to go with Brian Barbarena on this one. The stats mean nothing with Jason Witt. All right, moving on here uh, to the featherweight division, uh, a battle of a couple of prospects here. Uh, we have Colin Anglin taking on Melsic Bagdasarian. Anglin is 8-1. and one. Bagdasarian is 5-1. and one. Take a look at the odds here. And Bagdasarian is going to be the minus 140 favorite. Another guy who's in the UFC way too soon. Way too soon. Should not be in the UFC at 5-1. and one. Hopefully it doesn't backfire against him. It's not like he's uh, taking on uh, a world beater at this point in his career in Colin Anglin. But, uh, yeah, both of these guys are five foot nine, uh, virtually identical, as Mike Goldberg would say, when you look at uh, all the um, physical attributes here. Although, you probably got to give the striking advantage to Melsic Bagdasarian. I believe he, he was a kickboxer, I believe, in glory, which is not too shabby. Not too shabby. Don't really know a whole lot about uh, Colin Anglin. Uh, but both of these guys did come off of the Contender Series. Anglin won back in uh, September of last year against a guy whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce because it is, uh, it's pretty hard to say. So almost a year layoff for Colin Anglin. Also, another thing that concerns me about Colin Anglin is uh, his two fights before going on the Contender Series were against... Uh, a guy who was one and one, and a guy who was one and two, when he was five and one and six and one. So I don't know. It smells a little fishy to me. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't. You know, a little suspect on on the record there. And you know, for everything you can say about Bagdasarian having uh, a suspect record at five and one in terms of well, that's not a lot of experience. A yeah, high level striker, high level striker, and at least he did face guys who had. Uh, Records, I guess, and uh, I guess Tapology is telling me he's a uh, K1 kickboxer, not a Glory kickboxer. So excuse me, kickboxing fans out there, uh, if there are any. Certainly, there's no kickboxing fans in America. That's just a fact. 
but, you know, he looked good in his fight against Dennis Bazooka uh, back in uh, September uh, of 2020 as well. I don't know if he got a contract. I think he. Just, I think him appearing tonight is just the UFC signing him because I don't think he earned a contract on the Contender Series. I believe he was denied. But, uh, yeah. Oh, actually, wait a minute. The more I look into some of these MMA fights, he had a seven-second win against Art Hernandez, a nine-second win against Jay White, a 32-second win against Mauricio Diaz, and a 14-second win against Jason Guvian. Actually, wait a minute. So this is very suspect here. Hold on. So you're telling me that four of his five wins are knockouts in under... 30 seconds and two of them are under 10 seconds okay this is wow this is crazy so I might go with Colin Angland boy that's really that's like that's like those sham elections you know where like you play like Tropico 5 or whatever and like or whatever we're on now Tropico 6 you know like yeah I rigged the election so I I got 99% of the vote it's like oh I don't know I don't know I'm not going to use the word rig because I don't want to get in trouble, but ooh, it sounds like there might have been some favorable matchmaking on the regional scene for both of these fighters because, hmm, I don't know, their opponents' records aren't aren't very... And it's not like I'm expecting them to fight world champions from day one. I understand there's a progression, but ugh, that's a little... What did you... What would you say you learned in that eight-second... Or in that nine-second win against Jay White? What would you say you learned? What, what was a takeaway from that win? Like, how did that translate into cage time? Like, I don't know. Boy, that's weird. Yeah, I'm going with Colin Anglin on this one. That's a little concerning for me. Also proves why this main card, this entire card, is the worst card in modern UFC history, which I'm going to continue to uh, say. All right, moving on here to the featured bout on the main card. It's going to be between the German Nicholas Stolze and the American Jared Gooden uh, in the welterweight division. Uh, Stolze is 12 and 4. Gooden is 17 and 6. We're going to take a look at the odds here, and Stolze will be the minus 200 favorite. Uh, I really don't like the the thing about this fight is again this is a prelim opener fight on a poor. Uh, fight night. So I don't really have a whole lot of opinions on this, but unfortunately, this is the featured bout on a main card. So I have to have an opinion on it. And the UFC doesn't even care about this because I'm clicking on this uh, bout and they don't even have stats for it. They don't even have heights and weights listed. So that shows you how invested the UFC is in shit like this, but that's okay. I wouldn't have listened to the stats anyway. Uh, Stolze is 28 years old. He has a pretty interesting nickname, the Green... Actually, just Green Mask, not even The Green Mask. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's some nerd comic book shit. But uh, he's 0-1 in the UFC. He lost his uh, debut fight back on Fight Island against Ramazan Imiv. Um So I don't really have a whole lot to, to say about him. Jared Gooden, I know he's tough. I know he's tough. Uh, he's 27 years old. He's also looking for his first win in the UFC. He's had two unanimous decision losses. Every single judge who's ever judged a Jared Gooden fight in the UFC has said that man has lost to Alan Joban, which, ooh, Alan Joban's not that good, especially especially not in 2020. Uh, I think he's a good commentator, but ooh, losing to Alan Joban. But th- that one was back and forth. He hurt Joban. He did hurt Joban, but I I agree. He lost that fight. And then he uh, got steamrolled back in March against Abu Bakar Nurmagomedov. So I don't have anything to say about this. I wish I had a coin. Is there anything? I could flip my phone. I don't know how I'm going to do that. Let's see if there's like a coin in anything here. I don't... Problem is, I don't keep, like, coins or something. I'm going to flip my phone. If it lands screen up, I'm going to go Stoltzy. If it lands screen down, I'm going with Jared Gooden. Okay, it's screen up. So I'm going to go with Nicholas uh, Stoltzy on this one. Uh, just because that's that's how it is. I, I really don't care. All right, moving on to the greatest 
co-main event of all time. It's in the women's strawweight division again. Uh, not even not even a tab for this on the UFC's website, and I, I could I could see why. Uh, it's between Gloria DePaula and Cheyenne Bays. Now DePaula has a stellar record of five and three. Bays an even better record at five and two. Uh, we'll take a look at the odds here. I could not imagine anybody putting money on this. Uh, Bays is the minus 170 favorite. Boy, I would avoid this fight like the plague. Uh, and I will not be tuning into this co-main event. That is just, I'll find, I'll take a shower. I'll do anything. I'll take a hammer and just bash my each one of my toes for the 15 minutes this fight will take place because it will it will go the distance. I promise you that much. Uh, is going to have a 2-inch height advantage and a 4.5-inch reach advantage on Bayes. Um, so maybe that negates the, the slight advantage uh, on the, uh, the betting odds that Bayes has. Now, I don't really know how they settled this as the co-main event. I don't know why Stoltze and... Really, honestly, I don't even know why Barbarina and Wit is not the co-main event, because at least people would know who Barbarina is, and, you know, maybe they'd remember, you know, him, uh, you know, being a warrior, going out on his shield. Uh, did it? He, did, he was a part of one of the best fights I've ever seen against uh, Vincente Luque. That one was fucking brutal. That one was a brutal fight, and uh, I mean, you look at what Luke's done since then. So, you know, that's 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 a loss that that's respectable. Uh, but DePaula, uh, she's 26 years old. She's 0-1 in the UFC. She lost to Jin Yu Frey, who's on the prelims of this uh, fight card. So that's interesting. Uh, we have a 0-1 fighter, an 0-1 fighter. Uh, against someone who also, I d- believe, didn't have a win in the UFC up until that point, uh, in a co-main event, and Cheyenne Bays also is 0-1 in the UFC. This, These two fighters would be at the bottom of Invicta. Like I, I mean that as respectfully as possible, because maybe they'll turn their careers around, or they're still young in their careers. But So, so maybe Cheyenne Bays is a world champion at some point in her career, she certainly is not right now. Neither is DePaula, and yet this is a co-main event. I'd rather just not have a co-main event. I'd rather just go main card, main event. Not even a co-main event. Just 15 minutes of silence for the co-main. Just 15 minutes of dead air. Uh, and she got dominated. Dominated in her last appearance against Montserrat Ruiz. That fight was embarrassing. Ruiz held her down. What was it? a scarf hold or something Ruiz had like some position I've never heard of and just kept her in that and then she got frustrated and then they jawed back and forth after the fight was over that was the most interesting part of that entire fight day in regards to Cheyenne Bays so she got she gets dominated and gets put in a co-main event and I'm sure that she's really going to make the most of it you know you got to make the most of the opportunities that you're given I'm sure that she's just going to put on a fight of the year contender here in the co-main event and then everybody's going to be singing her praises I'm sure this is not going to be you know a fight on par with Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou I'm sure this is not going to be a complete snooze fest that goes all 15 minutes so at least I I can sleep well knowing that uh knowing that she'll make the most of it um I'll try not to be so negative. Although I did warn you guys I was going to be pretty negative on this one. So, you know, fair fair warning. I'm not going to pick a winner or a loser on this one. I'm not going to do it. Now, I will for the main card showdown because I want the points. But I'm not going to pick in protest of how shitty this card is and how shitty this co-main event is. I'm not going to pick. I'm not even going to pick. I, I know who's going to win and lose. Uh... Well, whatever, whatever. We're just going to move on here. I don't want to get in trouble. We're going to move on here to the, the, uh, the main event. And the main event is going to take place between Uriah Hall and Sean Strickland. Uriah Hall is 17-9. and nine. Sean Strickland is 23-3. and three. Uh, We'll take a look at the odds here. Sean Strickland is the minus 200 favorite. This also is probably the worst main event we're going to see all year. So, 
just looking at it from a 30,000 foot view, why do I care? You have to ask yourself this every time you tune into a fight. There's a lot of fighters in the UFC, and therefore there's a lot of storylines in the UFC. You know, calling out opponents is a very important ritual at the end of fights. Now, some people abstain, and some people, you know, love to call people out. But why do I, why do I care? Why am I tuning into this fight? And I might not. But why do I care? Because they're both ranked middleweights? First of all, Sean Strickland should not be ranked. Second of all, Uriah Hall. I'll get to him in a second. But why do I care? What's the storyline here? Are these guys arch enemies? Are these... The only thing you can say is they're both ranked middleweights. Okay. So, is this a good matchup? Is this striker versus striker? Is this... No, not really. So, I don't I don't understand them making this. This seems like a filler. It seems like a filler. It seems like they were contractually obligated to have a UFC event on July 31st, and they had to pick somebody. They had to pick somebody. They couldn't get anybody good, so they had to go uh, Uriah Hall and Sean Strickland. So I don't get why I'm supposed to tune in to this one. And I think they have the fluffiest rankings I've seen in a long time. Uh, I, I got to be honest. Like, uh, and it's, it's, it's just hilarious. And I don't even blame them. Like the UFC like preview show or whatever, like, okay, you're UFC employees. So you have to like talk this one up, but like, whoa, two surging prospects here in Uriah Hall and Sean Strickland. No definitely not neither of them are prospects and neither of them are surging so Sean Strickland's on a four fight winning streak okay very cool and I'm not trying to downplay that but like how is he number 11 who did he beat he never he did not beat a ranked opponent outside of Brendan Allen who was 15 so okay so you're 15 you beat Nordin Taleb Jack Marshman you come back and beat Brendan Allen very good awesome Claps for you. Brendan Allen, I, I think, is, you know, at some point he'll be in the top five. I really think he's a good fighter. But you beat him, and then you beat Kristoff's Jotko, and somehow you're 11. So you beat 15, so you're 15, and you beat Jotko, who has beaten nobody, and now you're 11, and now I'm supposed to care because you scream at Jotko? You scream at him when you're fighting? Whoa. Hey, guys, watch out for Sean Strickland. He's fucking unhinged. He is unhinged. He's screaming at his opponents. Whoa, man, that's fucking badass. Also, Sean Strickland is now one of my least favorite fighters under contract with the UFC because he is so cringy. He's so cringy. Like, hey, man, I just fight anybody, man. I just fight anybody. The UFC calls me and I fight him, man. I don't think a whole lot. I'm I'm a dumb UFC fighter. I don't think a lot. I don't, I don't use my brain a lot. That uh, Yeah, that's fucking obvious. But, yeah, that interview with Megan O'Levy, like, uh, oh, man, just terrible. Just terrible. Yeah, I don't use my brain a lot. Okay. All right. Am I supposed to tune in because you said that? Is that intriguing to me to watch a brickhead fight? All right. And then what the the <laughs> the uh, stare down or whatever at the ceremonial weigh-ins against uh, Hall. Hey, man, you said I'm sloppy? What, do you think I'm sloppy? Am I sloppy? And then turning to the fucking press and being like, hey, do you guys think I'm sloppy? Dude, nobody fucking cares. Nobody gives a fuck, dude. Nobody cares. What is the, what is the press supposed to go like? What is the, the, the camera guy for Vox Media supposed to go? Well, actually, you know, I, your striking's looked pretty good the last couple of fights. I would say that's, uh, I would say that's incorrect. I'd say that's an incorrect assertion, Sean. I would say that you're actually uh, very measured. I don't think you're sloppy at all. Dude, nobody fucking cares, dude. So, I hope he gets knocked out in this fight. Uh, but, you know, that's just me being a dick. But, yeah, very cringy. Very cringy. And then Uriah Hall. Oh, man, the, the cold open or whatever. Like, this dude's delusional. This dude's delusional. Now, he said some of the right stuff. Like, hey, it's unfortunate what happened to Chris Weidman. Yeah, it, it is unfortunate, obviously. But being like, hey, I've beaten two former champions in my last two fights. Dude, only by the most lenient definitions possible did you beat two former champions. Only by the most technical of technicalities did you beat two former champions in your last two fights. Yes, you did beat Anderson Silva, who was a former champion 
Uh, he also was 57 years old and should not have been fighting professionally in a cage. So, okay, yeah, you did beat Anderson Silva. Congrats. Like, is that is that impressive? It's not impressive at all. It would be impressive if you did that in 2011. It's not impressive that you beat a grandpa in Anderson Silva. And then to say you beat Anderson Silva, technically it is a win on your record because it was Weidman's leg that gave out. But, dude, it was a catastrophic injury. So, like, are you supposed to feel good about that? Like, you didn't beat... He did not beat Chris Weidman. Like, if we're getting to the technicality of whether or not you should be given a win, a loss, or a no contest if you win because... Or if you fight an opponent and your opponent has a catastrophic injury, then I agree. You should be awarded a win. But you didn't win-win. He had a catastrophic injury. So, okay... And it's because you kicked him. So, like, whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just move on. In my mind, honestly, in my mind, and I feel like in the in the minds of a lot of people, that's a no contest. It might technically... Where, now, where was that one? That was 250... 261. So... Oh, okay. That, that was in Jacksonville. So, technically... I just wanted to get that correct. Technically, according to the Florida State Athletic Commission, that is a win for Uriah Hall. But in the hearts and minds of everybody tuning in, that's a no contest. Now, if that was at the end of round three, or even if that was in at the end of round two, and you were winning that fight and that happens, then okay, it would be like if you had like an accidental eye poke and then the fight can't continue, so you go to the scorecards or whatever. You know what I mean? But no, that's a fucking no contest, dude. Absolutely delusional. And another thing about Uriah Hall that I want to say. This guy is the most talented UFC fighter who has done nothing. Like, the disconnect between the talent that Uriah Hall possesses and what he's actually done in the UFC, I think it's the biggest gap we've ever seen. Uriah Hall is one of the most talented strikers in UFC history. I mean explosive he's got power he's he's twitchy he's quick uh you know he has shown glimpses you know uh, of of what he can do obviously you know on on the ultimate fighter his knockout of adam sella is one of the greatest knockouts in ufc history i mean that was tremendous that was awesome it was really really good uh what was it the knockout of uh gaygard musasi yeah gaygard gaygard's a really good fighter gaygard has like 60 fights in his career and he only has like fucking six losses or something like he's been a champ in a bunch of organizations so that's a very good win that's a glimpse of what Uriah Hall can do but what he's actually achieved dude it's nothing it's nothing he has a bunch of losses he has a bunch of losses he, you know he's lost to Kelvin Gastelum he's lost to John Howard that's not very good uh, lost to Whitaker, lost to Brunson, lost to Masasi in the rematch, lost to Paulo Costa, got completely outclassed and knocked out. And I'm supposed to care? Why, like, why am I supposed... If, if Uriah Hall, instead of him being 37, if he was 27 and had the record he had, I would go, okay, it's a young guy, he's trying to figure it out. You know, he's, he's very talented, but, you know, he's just got to hone it in. You know, he's got some bad losses, he's got some good wins... He's trying to figure it out. But at 37, this is who he is. He's not going to... There's... I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And you could just fucking ratio me on Twitter. But, you know, Uriah Hall's not going to make a run to the title. He didn't change. What what has changed? He's just an inconsistent fighter. That's who he'll always be. He's 37. He's going to have some great renaissance in his late 30s. That's not going to happen. And I saw... I think it was Dean Thomas who said if he beats Strickland here tonight that he'd like to see him fight Israel Adesanya next. Dude, first of all, there's no fucking way. There's no way. And second of all, uh, Israel Adesanya would beat Uriah Hall in whatever amount of time Izzy chooses. If that's 10 seconds, it's 10 seconds. If it's if it's the 23rd minute, it's the 23rd minute. But literally whenever Israel Adesanya would decide to win is when he would win. That fight would be the least competitive fight in title history. So, again, both these guys are on winning streaks, but when you dive into it, it's really not that impressive. Hall beat Bevan Lewis, who was 6-0. Again, shouldn't even have been in the UFC. Beats him. Split decision win over uh, Antonio Carlos Jr., a win over a grandpa and Anderson Silva, 
and a freak injury against Chris Weidman. You tell me how he's the number eight fighter in the middleweight division, because I can't, I can't figure out why. Now, I guess technically I have to pick a winner in this fight, and I'm going to go Uriah Hall. Firstly, because he's he's still cringy. He still is actually actually pretty cringy and annoying, but he's less cringy than Sean Strickland, and at least at least he's been in main events before. And he's a dangerous striker, and maybe he catches Sean Strickland. But to be perfectly clear, I don't really care who wins this fight either way. I, I really don't. This is largely irrelevant. Uh, there's no storyline given. The, the UFC's done a terrible job promoting this uh, fight card, and it's going to do really bad numbers. And they're screwed too because Bellator 264, is it? 263 or 264 is actually pretty good. I mean, Pitbull versus McKee is going to be better than this entire fight card put together. Uh, you know, I think McKee is the real deal. I think AJ McKee is going to win. Uh, Pitbull is the face of Bellator. He has the most wins in Bellator history. Without a doubt, he's the Bellator GOAT. And then, you know, you look at the um, the fight card. You know, it's not awesome. You know what I mean? But you got Brett Primus on there. You got Usman Nurmagomedov. Um... Even the co-main event, Mads Brunel and Emmanuel Sanchez, I mean, I think that'll be a fine a fine fight. You know, but it's not a barn burner of a card outside of, you know, the main event. But they're just going to put the UFC to shame. And uh, that's why you can't afford to have uh, cards like this. Because, uh, you know, you have, you have cards like this and you, 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 lose, you lose a Saturday to Bellator. Well, now it's a lot easier to lose another Saturday to Bellator. Now, I'm not trying to make it seem like it's a downfall of the UFC, but... They're definitely going to lose this uh, this Saturday night. So, unfortunate for the UFC. Uh, so, with that, I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, again, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely M, and you can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star M I N. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarSports.media. You got to be sure to uh, tune in to NSS 49 later tonight. And uh, with that, thanks for tuning in, everybody.